Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. everyone, I will be taking our Bible reading for today, and our Bible reading will be taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, 1 to 7. Once I am done reading, I will end by saying this is the word of the Lord. Please do reply by saying thanks be to God. 1 Peter, chapter 5, 1 to 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and joining us wherever um, in the city of Lagos, in the world you are in. Um, it's a joy to be with everyone again this morning. So we're gradually making our way towards the end of First Peter. And um, today is the third, third to the end, or two sermons before the end of the series. And I've titled this one, How to Experience God's Mighty Hand. How to Experience God's Mighty Hand. Now, there's something I like to term, or I've termed, unusual remedies. Unusual remedies. And I define unusual remedies as prescriptions or solutions that don't necessarily flow from what you're experiencing, but are designed to solve them. So there are prescriptions or solutions that don't necessarily flow from what you're experiencing, but are designed to solve them. Now, let me give you an example. My paternal grandmother is, um, is an uneducated woman. I love her um, dearly. But she has this unusual remedy when someone is experiencing malaria. And so she used to tell us, as children growing up, if we told her that we're ill, she would ask us if we've taken 7-Up. And not just any kind of 7-Up, unrefrigerated 7-Up. And so the, the warmer the 7-Up, the better, because it would treat your malaria. So not Sprite, not Mountain Dew, but 7-Up. And some of us who are women are also familiar, you know, with this kind of unusual remedies from old wives' tales that are passed down to us. So often you hear people say to um, um, pregnant women or to mothers, um, if your baby is having hiccups, just put the baby on the bed or on the chair, just lie, make the baby lie down 
and cut a small piece of thread and put it on the baby's forehead and the baby will stop having hiccups. Or this one, so that your baby will not have body odor when the child grows up, make sure that you bathe the child with palm oil. And the idea is that this scent of palm oil will follow the child all of his life and will fight off every bacteria of body odor in the life of that child. Or maybe, I love this too very much, if, um, so that you can have easy delivery when you are pregnant. This one, this one is for all the pregnant women who are watching. This is a piece of advice for you. So that you can have easy delivery when you are about to give birth. Make sure that you drink, not eat, drink Ewedu. That's spinach soup. Because you know Ewedu is, is slimy, it's slippery. And the more you drink it, the more your passage will be um, very slimy and slippery so that the baby can come out easily. Or this one, this particular one. I like this one so much. It says that when you are pregnant, so that enemies will not be able to attack your baby, always carry a safety pin around with you and wrap it around your stomach. And so that when people, evil people are trying to you know, do your child, they want to attack your child, that pin will be fighting them off. It will be pricking them wherever they are. Or like we say in Nigerian English, it will be choking them and it will make sure that they don't harm your baby. Now, all of these things are funny. Um, and there are people who actually swear by them, like these things work. So I told you about my grandmother. My, my, um, my nephew's grandmom, actually, when he was born and his mom had gone out, she made sure she bathed him in palm oil so that he wouldn't smell in his life. Um, and I know someone also who, you know, this threat thing, they also, you also practice it. And so there are people who swear by these things. But for the rest of us, we just look at these things and we laugh. They're unusual remedies. It doesn't make any sense. This solution that you're preferring does not logically flow from the problem I'm having. And if we look at this text, it may seem like that is what Peter is doing here. It may seem like there's an unusual remedy here. Because oftentimes when we think about how to experience God's mighty hand, we think in categories of like fasting, you know, separating and consecrating yourself for many days and then you receive power from on high. Or, like, you join a very vibrant church and you begin to do different things for God. Or you begin to, you know, speak in tongues and you do different things so that God can come down from heaven and you experience his mighty hand. Some of those things are true. Some of those things are wrong. But in this text here, Peter gives us an unusual remedy and says, if you want to experience God's mighty hand, you have to be, it has to be through selfless leaders in a humble community because of the good shepherd. Let me say that again. He's saying to these people who are suffering, who are experiencing different things in, in, in the different places in the world where they are, he's saying, guys, if you want to experience God's mighty hand, it has to be through selfless leaders in a humble community because of the good shepherd. And so, my three points, actually, those are my three points. And I'm, and I'm developing those three points as a homage to um, Dami, who always makes his three points one sentence. And so here goes. The first point is through selfless leaders. Second point is in a humble community. And the third point is because of a mighty shepherd, because of a mighty shepherd. So let's go in. The first one, through selfless leaders. 
Now, if you open the text, if you look at the beginning, verses 1 and 2, Peter begins with a very strong appeal to church leaders. In fact, he says to them in verse 1, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal. And it's a very strong word. And he says to them, Be shepherds, in verse 2, of God's flock. Now, in the original language, um, the words be and the word of are not there. And so Peter is effectively issuing a command. He's issuing a strong appeal. He says, he's saying in effect, shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock. And for those of us who are English language speakers, we might, um, it's easy for us to kind of jump over that or skip over that. But actually, Peter is talking in very strong terms here. He's talking in very strong terms here. It's like someone coming to you, someone who is losing a lot of blood. The person has experienced an accident, and the person comes, or the person is brought to you, and the person is screaming and shouting, doctor me, doctor me, doctor me. Or like my own mother used to say to me as a child growing up, when I was asking her too many questions, she would say, don't lawyer me. And to, to us, it might seem like that's wrong English, but what the person is actually saying, by using a word that is typically used as a noun and turning it into a verb, into an action word, the person is saying, act or refrain from acting as the kind of thing I'm, I'm describing. And so Peter is saying, to, when he says to the, the, the people here, when he's saying to, to the elders, shepherd God's flock, he's saying, act as if you are actually a shepherd. Let this shepherding define your life. Let it define your posture. Let it dis- define everything about you when it comes to leading God's household. And it's very interesting here because the way Peter describes this is exactly what Jesus told him in John chapter 21, verse 16. When Jesus looks at Peter as he's about to leave, he says in John 21, 16, tend my sheep. And Peter is saying this to point church leaders, to point people who lead in God's household, to the fact that this is not just a command from Peter. This is a job description from Christ. He's saying the way that church leaders should actually lead in God's household is that they should lead as shepherds. But you see, Peter also goes on to describe in verse 2, he says that shepherd believers like God's flock. God's flock. In other words, they are God's property. They belong to God. Christians belong to God and they must be treated like the prized possession that they are. And by saying that Peter is aiming at our hearts, those of us who are church leaders and those of us who are also um, um, in a congregation who are under church leaders, because there's a tendency for us, our normal inclination is to divide over the qualifications or the giftings, um, the, 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 the way our church leaders behave, the kind of things they say to us that make us feel happy. We divide over their giftings. We divide over their charisma, over their personalities. And Peter is saying, no, no. First of all, the most important thing about you as a Christian is that you are God's flock. You are God's own. And Peter is saying here that church leaders should lead in such a way that they don't lead God's people as though they belong to them, but rather they belong to God. Some of you know what it's like to actually be in possession of someone else's item or someone else's goods. In fact, you may be a very careless person normally. You may be someone who you don't pay attention to the things you want. But when someone else's thing is in your possession, it suddenly changes. You begin to treat it like 
an egg, like something very precious. And so usually when um, people are about to get married, usually you don't use your car or you don't even have a car even to drive your bride from the house to the church and then from the church back home. And so what you do is you approach someone else who is more well off than you, someone who has a better car, and you say, please, can I borrow your car for this very special event, for this very, very special occasion? And sometimes you might even tell them, ah, please, I don't want anything to happen to the car. Can you give me your driver as well for these three or four or five hours of this event? And everything will be returned back to you in one piece. Why? Why do we do that? Because we realize that it is someone else's thing and it must be treated with value. And that's what Peter is getting at here. He's saying church leaders should lead in such a way that they recognize that Christians, people under their care, belong to God. They are God's flock. They are God's possession. They are God's property. And he goes on to say how church leaders should actually shepherd well, how they should lead in God's household. And we see this in verses 2 to 3, and I'm just going to touch on them very briefly. He says, the kind of leadership, the kind of leadership that should exist in the house of God is one where the leaders are willing watchers, is one where they are selfless servants. It is one where they are evident examples. Let me say that again. Church leaders must be willing watchers, they must be selfless servants, and they must be evident examples. So look at verse 2. He says, in verse 2, he says that church leaders should watch over them, over God's flock, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And so Peter is saying that the kind of community that experiences God's mighty hand is one where the leaders, the church leaders pay attention to the flock of God in their care. Is one where they are actually always seeking the spiritual growth of that community. It's one where they're actually always aware of the stations of life that their people are in. They're constantly giving encouragement. They're constantly, sometimes they even offer rebuke, all because they're actively involved in the life of that congregation. You see, they're not visiting speakers. They're not people who are from the outside looking in, but they are very much on the inside, tending and caring for the people of God. Now, there's a very interesting um, picture that some of you might have seen before, and it's probably on your screen right now. And every time I see it, it cracks me up. It makes me laugh. Just look at that guy's face. The guy is interviewing someone, but he's obviously disinterested in what's going on. He's not excited about it. He looks like someone that has been forced to go and do the job. And maybe he even has a legitimate reason. Maybe he's not being well paid. Maybe he has very terrible people on the job, um, or very terrible superiors who treat him anyhow. And so he, his, his approach to the job is not eager, he's not, he's not exciting. But you see, what this guy shows us is that he is an unwilling employee. He is doing his job quite all right, but he is doing it unwillingly. And Peter is saying here that Christian leaders must not be like this. He's saying, don't shepherd God's flock as if you are doing somebody a favor. As if you are doing it just merely to get your next paycheck. He's saying, be willing watchers. Be willing watchers. Be eager, actually. Be eager to actually take on their care and watching over them. But he says also going on. Um, let me just stay on that a bit. 
You know, there's a tendency sometimes where church leaders think of their congregation as you people, separate from me, the man of God. And so you hear people, you hear, you hear church leaders saying sometimes to their flock, like, you people, you don't know anything. Or they treat them despicably. And everybody is meant to be looking up to them as this person who is like a king, who is person who is like royalty. But Peter says, no, we must be willing watchers, not separate from the flock, but actually very much part of the flock. But he goes on in verse 2. Look at the second part of verse 2. He says they must be selfless servants. And so he says in verse 2 that they must not pursue dishonest gain, but they must be eager to serve. And Peter is saying here that the kind of leadership that brings down the God's mighty hand, that causes people to experience God's mighty hand, is one where the leaders are not in it for themselves, but they are in it for others, for God's people. They don't rule as lords. They don't ride as bossy lions, controlling everything in the jungle. But actually, they are servants, seeking to serve God's flock. I know it's interesting that he says that these people must not be people who pursue dishonest gain. Dishonest gain. And let's be clear, Peter is not saying here, by, by saying they shouldn't pursue dishonest gain, Peter is not saying here that, that, that there shouldn't be any financial remunerations in ministry. Uh, we know that because, for instance, in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says that those who actually serve in God's house, who serve especially in teaching and preaching, are worthy of double honor. And by that, he's speaking about a financial compensation or some kind of compensation that should come to them as well. So Peter is not talking about that. But what Peter is getting us here is that the same way people pursue dishonest gain, is the way that selfless servants, selfless leaders in the house of God must be eager to serve. Have you ever seen someone who is driven by money? Who everything about their life is actually, they just want to make as much money as they can. And so that affects how, you know, the kind of people they keep in touch with. That affects where they go. That affects the kind of meetings they have. And Peter is saying the very same way Christian leaders must be selfless servants. They're always using every opportunity, everything available to them to serve God's flock. Not to serve themselves, not to fatten their paychecks, not to um, be, be, be more lavish and wealthier than others, but actually to care for and to serve God's flock. And lastly, he says there must be evident examples. And so verse 3 says, that these leaders should not lord it over those entrusted to them, but must be examples to the flock. They mustn't lord it over, but they must be examples. And so last year we did a, a sermon series called Leadership and Followership. And the interesting thing is, you know, we, we, when we were styling the, um, the, the topic, the sheep, the, lead, the sheep in, that's the S-H-I-P, in leadership and followership was not S-H-I-P, but S-H-E-E-P. And one of the things we saw in that series was um, that church leadership or church leaders are actually sheep as well, but they are sheep who lead. And that's what Peter is saying here. Look at verse 3. He says, they must lead in this way because they have been given people by God. These people have been entrusted to them by God. And in verse 4, he describes Christ as the chief shepherd. And so in other words, your shepherding must be in such a way that you are also being shepherded by Christ. 
And so it means that church leaders must be people who are also being affected by Christ. People who are also enjoying a relationship where they are conforming more to the image of Christ. Peter is saying that the gospel should not just shape the conduct of the people in the congregation as the, as the church leaders speak and teach them, but the gospel should also be shaping the lives of the people who are leading the congregation as well. If you're looking for, for an example of prayer, it should be church leaders. If you're looking for an example of hard work, it should be church leaders. And this doesn't mean that church leaders have to be perfect or they must always know everything or know how to, or have all the answers to all questions. But it does mean that in some way, the gospel must be affecting them as well. And so when Peter bellows, shepherd God's flock, he is saying, shepherd them by being willing watchers who pay close attention to them. Shepherd God's flock by being selfless servants who, who care for them and not dominate them. Shepherd them by being evident examples of what it means to follow Christ in every area of your life. And verse 5 says that this kind of leadership stands to receive a reward. Often when people have led well, when people have served God selflessly, like we just saw with Ravi Zacharias who passed, people sometimes give physical rewards. People sometimes give commendations. People sometimes say different things. But friends, he's saying ultimately that those things are not what church leaders are working for. Rather, they are working for a reward from God. He says, accolades from people will fade. But the only accolade that ever truly lasts is from God. I know there's that funny video that goes around where the guy is screaming, I deserve some accolades. And sometimes there's a, there's a way that if the gospel is not shaping us, if the gospel is not redefining our thinking, our paradigms, church leaders sometimes can be like that. I deserve some accolades. Don't you people see what I'm doing? But Peter is saying, no, no, no. The only accolade that truly matters is the accolade from God. And some of you know, just bringing this home to what this means for us at City Church, for those of you who are part of us at City Church, some of you know that we, we um, presently have only one elder um, who is our lead pastor, Pastor Femi, but also overseen externally by management team. But because we believe what Peter is saying here, when he says in verse 1, the elders to the elders among you, we believe that the Bible's model is that church leadership is not a sole proprietorship, but is a band of brothers who are coming together to lead and care for God's flock. We also have a local leadership team. And by God's grace, the expectation is that all of the people on that leadership team will eventually become elders and the management team will no longer be needed. And so that team comprises of Pastor Femi, our lead pastor, um, and other people, um, two other people, um, um, Moses Kesman and Yemi Oshinubi, and Damlola Jeremy and myself as associate members. And can I just tell you that these verses are aspirational. We actually want our church to experience God's mighty hand. A mighty hand that actually lifts us up. A mighty hand of blessing. A mighty hand of God's favor. And that's why we have, in our membership handbook, we have elder commitments. In fact, when we begin the part on, on membership commitments, it doesn't start with what... It doesn't start with what the members are meant to do. It actually starts with what the elders' commitments to the flock of God is. 
And what we are saying by that is that we actually want the gospel to actually define how we lead God's church. We want this to be a place where people experience God's mighty hand. We want to be willing watchers. We want to be willing watchers. And that's why from time to time we will ask you tough questions. We will call you. We would um, do different things so that we can actually pay attention to your condition and best serve you as we are being served by Christ. We want to be eager to serve. And that's why through sermons, through um, counseling, through time spent with you, through resources, both as individuals and, 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 um, and on, a, on a church level, we actually want to serve as well. Some of you know that only two of us, only two people on the leadership team are staff um, members. And the rest are, you know, working full-time jobs. And so that means that everyone is actually giving of their resources, giving of their time, um, giving in one way or the other so that we can actually serve God's flock. Can I also tell you that we want to be evident examples. We want the gospel to be shaping us and changing us just as much as we are proclaiming it to you and it's shaping you as well. And so that's why one of the things we do when we gather together, we just had one last week, one of the things we do is to confess sin to one another. And by doing that, we're we are holding each other accountable and we're saying, no, 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 guys, we have to be evident examples. The gospel must not just shape the congregation. The gospel is not just for proclamation to people. The gospel must also be affecting our lives. And by doing that, we're saying, no, we must grow in the gospel as well. We're taking very seriously what Peter is saying here. We want this church to experience God's mighty hand. You see, our vision is to is for God to make City Church a catalytic church that catalyzes a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. And Peter is saying, if that is going to happen in City Church, if you are going to experience God's mighty hand, it has to do or start with your leaders. And so we're taking that seriously as we can. And this is not a PR statement to you, um, as though we have achieved everything in these verses and it's only for those outside. It's actually saying as well. In fact, if you read the membership form, the, the, the preface actually says that we want to be held accountable to these things. And so I have a friend in this church who has taken it upon herself a lot of times when we come together, she's always asking the question, how is your work with Christ? And what that does is that it goes past, you know, all the facade and all the spirituality that one may exude on the outside. He's saying, actually, how is your heart before the Lord? Is the gospel shaping you as well? And I'm saying some of you may not be able to ask that question, but please pray for us. Please encourage us. Because we actually want God's hand to rest upon this church mightily. We want God to actually lift up this church and do great things through it. But some of you are not part of our church. You might be a Christian and you are plugged in other churches. Or maybe you are even a leader of your church in, um, in, in wherever else you are. Can I ask you to honestly look at your church, at your leaders? 
And I'm not saying this to disparage anyone, but if we take very seriously what Peter is saying here, he's saying God's mighty hand comes in a community where the leaders are selfless, where the leaders are willing watchers, where the leaders, the leaders are evident examples of the grace of God. Are your leaders willingly watching over you? Are they grudgingly doing so? Are they part of the flock of God or they've distanced themselves from the flock of God and the only time you ever see them or hear from them is when they come to proclaim the word of God to you on Sunday? Are your leaders just sucking from the church and the only, find, the only product of the financial commitment you are giving to the church is the ever-increasing um, wealth or platform of the church leader and it doesn't actually trickle down to people's lives? leaders growing in Christ-likeness or the only thing that you see in them or from them is just their gifting and their personalities and their charisma. Or some of you maybe are not even a Christian. You are saying this is the reason why I'm not a Christian is because you've seen many, many people, many Christian leaders who proclaim the name of Christ but actually do not live like they should. Like these verses are not even anywhere close to how and what they're aspiring towards. Can I just encourage you? You know, if you've been duped by a quack doctor, the right response is not to give up on all doctors. The right response is actually to say, how can I not be duped by a quack doctor anymore? How can I investigate what a real doctor is? And that's what Peter is saying here as well. If the reason why you have not come to Christ is because of many charlatans that we have around, can I tell you that the Bible actually holds up a model of what right biblical leadership in the church is? The one where we actually experience God's mighty hand. And friends, Peter is saying to us that if we are going to experience God's mighty hand, it may look like an unusual remedy, but this is a real remedy. It comes in a community where the leaders are selfless, where the leaders are willing watchers, where the leaders are selfless servants, where the leaders are evident examples. But can I just move on to my second point? Peter says, a community that experiences or experiencing God's mighty hand happens in a humble community. And he goes on in verse 5. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. I know the, the context of this passage, it may have, it may have very well been that um, most of the people who were in this, on the churches that Peter is writing to were actually people who were younger than their pastors. And so Peter is saying, submit yourself to them. But this instruction also applies where you are older than your pastor, you are older than your leaders. Because, for instance, we know in 1 Timothy 4 to Timothy, um, Peter, um, Paul writes to Timothy, sorry, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, No one should despise you because of your young age. And what he's saying, in effect, is that people should actually respect their leaders because they have been placed there by God, regardless of age. And so, this is a command to all Christians. I'm Peter is saying here that we all should submit ourselves to our leaders, to our elders. And you know, the word submit, when the Bible uses it, the Bible means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another person, to be led, to be guided by them. And some of you may be hearing that alarm bells are going on in your head. Especially if you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, exactly, I knew it. This is oppressive. 
Submit, submit, submit. But can I just say, every time, virtually every time the Bible tells us to submit, it spends even more time defining the kind of people that are to submit to, defining the limitations of the submission. And so in this verse, it's instructive that verse 5 actually comes after verse 1 to 4 has told us the kind of people that we are meant to submit to. Another one is Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 24, where the Bible says wives should submit to their husbands. And that, those verses are sandwiched between verse 21 and verses 25 to 33 that actually spend more time defining the kind of people that wives should submit to. And so this is, not just, this is not just a harsh command. This is a loving command from God. But you know, Peter also knows that for some of us, the reason why alarm bells are going on in our head is because we are proud. We don't like submitting. We think too much of ourselves. We think too much of our position, of our giftings, of our status. And so he immediately continues in verse 5. He says, all of you, Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. And what he's saying there is like, some of you know, there's a, there's a person in our church who is affectionately referred to as flannel man. And the reason why the person is called flannel man is because the person has all these patterned and plaid shirts that he wears most of the time. And it's almost like a second nature to him. And so someone, I shall not mention his name, who is a GC leader, has taken to calling him flannel man. And that's kind of what Peter is getting at here. He's saying that when people think about you, humility should so much be wrapped around you that it's almost like another clothes that you're wearing. And Peter says the reason why this is so is because God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Think about that for a minute. He says, God opposes the proud. And so we see in verses 6 to 7 that one experiences God's mighty hand as a lifting up. And this verse tells us in verse 5 that another experiences God's hand as an opposition, an active resistance. Just think about that for a minute. God actually opposing proud people. You know, during the lockdown, Lagos State and federal government asked us not to go out. There was a restriction of movement. And to make sure that we actually obey that, they came up with this thing called checkpoints, police checkpoints. And so the idea was that if people were going out and they weren't warranted to go out, they would actually be stopped from going out. And so some of us saw on the news that there were people who were asked to turn back. There were people who were um, arrested because they were going out. They were disobeying the order. They were opposed. And Peter is saying here that this is exactly what God does to proud people. Imagine this. God is the one who actually places a stumbling block in your path. Friends, isn't this a chilling picture? Isn't this why some of us are having the kind of experiences we're having? Isn't this the reason why some of us are experiencing hardships and trials? Because we're not humble before God. And Peter is saying, look, everyone will experience God's mighty hand. It's up to you to decide. Do you want to experience God's mighty hand as a lifting up? Or do you want to experience God's mighty hand 
as an opposition. And Peter goes on in verse 5 to say that we should, verse 6 and 7 says, we should humble ourselves under God so that he can lift us up. And in verse 7 he says, you do this, you do this humility by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And actually, what Peter is doing here is a little play on words. In verse 7, the word anxiety is also a word that means cares or concerns. And so Peter is saying, cast your concerns, cast your cares on Christ because he's actually concerned about you. You are worrying about all these other things, but he is just as concerned about you as well. You know, there's a helpful way to think about this. So suppose I, Emmanuel, came to you today to invite you and your extended family to the most expensive restaurant in Lagos. And so you're thinking, ah, Emmanuel, this guy, which money does he have? So instead of bringing all the 50 people in your village, in your family, you decide to have mercy on me and you bring 20. But then you see that this guy is not cutting his cloth according to his size. He's actually ordering a three-course meal. And he has actually even ordered takeaway. So what do you do? As the, as the waiter brings the bill, you say, um, Emmanuel, let me, let me help you. Let's, let's split the bill half in half. And I will gladly accept it. <laughs> right? But imagine if that offer was extended to you by Dangote, the richest man in Africa, for nine straight years. In fact, last year he was worth $10.3 billion. This year he's worth $10.3 billion, okay, dollars. And this year he's worth 10.1. So he lost a, a couple of million um, dollars, but he's still, he's still very much there. So imagine that the guy extends that same offer to you. He asks you to come to the most lavish restaurant in Lagos. It will be a travesty, an insult for you when the waiter brings the bill to want to help Dangote to pay for the bill. And friends, how much more God and that's what Peter is saying here in verse 7, that we are proud when we think that we can help God manage the affairs of our life. We are proud when we think that we can help God manage the affairs of others' lives. And Peter says, cast all your cares on God. Live with reckless abandon. Live as if Dangote is the one who is in control of your life and your expenses because the person who is in charge is worth more than Dangote is worth. And Peter says, cast your cares on God. Do you want to experience God's mighty hand? Humble yourself before him. Acknowledge that you are not God and he alone is God. Acknowledge that you cannot solve the challenges and the problems of your life. Only God can. Only God can. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. As you navigate doing business in a COVID-19 world, trust God and not your five-year financial strategy. As you think about your financial goals and all the um, hard hits that you've experienced because of COVID-19 and all that's going on now, trust God as the provider of your needs and not your financial and investment portfolio. Instead of prioritizing yourself excessively and prioritizing your family excessively, trust God by caring about other believers, giving to the Jubilee Fund, seeing how you can actually be part of God, lifting other people up. Because why? That is the only way God will lift you up when you humble yourself before him. Peter says, do you want to experience God's mighty hand? You have to do it. 
by being humble under God. It has to be through selfless leaders, but it also has to be in a humble community. And friends, can you imagine if all of us were so clothed in humility that it affects how we actually relate to one another, how we actually do the things that we do, how we actually serve one another. And so that takes me to the last point. So remember, the first point is you experience God's mighty hand through selfless leaders who are becoming more and more like Christ, who are giving themselves selflessly to God's work, who are willing watchers. But you also experience it in a humble community. But lastly, we see that the only reason why you and I can experience God's mighty hand is because of the mighty shepherd. And this is one thing that actually emerges throughout verses 1 to 7 when Peter is writing. Isn't it interesting, isn't it striking that in verse 4, of all the things Peter could have called Jesus, he could have called him healer, he could have called him protector, provider, he calls him the chief shepherd. (laughs) Friends, it's like you and I saying that the most important person we know is a Fulani headsman. And because you have to understand Just like in our day, in Peter's day as well, it wasn't a regal profession to choose to be a shepherd. It was something for the lowest of the low. Because shepherds do hard work. They do dirty work. They lead their sheep or cattle and feed them constantly away from harm towards good resources. And this is how Peter describes Jesus. Why? Why does Peter choose this appellation? Why does Peter do this? Because... This is how Jesus also describes himself. So in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. And what Jesus is saying here is that Jesus is not a killer headsman like we have in some parts of our country where they actually take lives to have good territory. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I am the headsman. I am the shepherd who gives his life for his sheep to have good territory. And Jesus does this by dying on the cross. And friends, do you see how striking this is? In verse 4, Peter says that Jesus is committed to tending and watching and keeping his flock. He knows that every condition, he is the true willing watcher. He's the one always looking out for them, protecting them and guiding them to the good path. In fact, this is so astounding. In in, in Psalm 56, verse 8, we are told that God keeps count of our tossings. As we roll on our bed at night, God keeps count of it. He's so much concerned about us. The Bible tells us that he keeps our tears in a bottle. We see in verse 6 that Jesus was the true mighty shepherd who was brought low under his mighty hand so that you and I can be brought high. God's mighty hand. In verse 7, Jesus is the shepherd who cares for his own. You and I are like sheep that is bleating and dying of thirst. Jesus is the shepherd who actually goes to the freshest water source and brings it for us to drink from and have our thirst quenched. Friends, you cannot experience God's mighty hand of favor if you do not know this mighty shepherd. 
And can I just say that maybe some of you are not Christians and, and, and you are running around in different circles, doing different things. Can I tell you that the true answer to all of your life's aspirations is in this mighty shepherd, this one who is devoted to actually caring and tending you, this one who is devoted to actually lifting you up. Come to this great shepherd. But maybe you are a Christian. And it's hard for you to think of Christ this way as one who is committed to you. As one who is actually watching over the circumstances of your life. You're experiencing so much hardship, so much suffering, so much setback, so much difficulty. And it's hard to see. Can I just tell you to meditate on this reality? Because you have a chief shepherd who is committed to lifting you up. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says to come unto him. All of us who are thirsty, all of us who are laboring, who are working hard to find satisfaction for our souls, he says, and he will give it to us. In Psalm 23, verse 1, he says that he is our chief shepherd. And because of that, we will not lack anything. Friends, it is only in this mighty shepherd that you can find fulfillment, longing for your soul. Do you want to experience God's mighty hand? It will happen when you are working or serving under God through selfless leaders in a humble community. But only because of the mighty shepherd, this good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Can I extend an invitation for you to come? Whether you're a Christian, you want to rediscover this, come and cry out to him again. If you're not a Christian, come and cry out to him again. He's more than willing to take you on. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.